0: ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it, get 1% better every day, just get a little bit better every day. Hey, welcome back, Steven Holder here with Zach Kiefer, another episode of 1% Better. We are a little bit closer, 1% closer you might say, to the coming Colts season, the NFL season. Colts report to training camp a week from today as we're recording this on Thursday the 23rd. Uh, so they'll be there uh this time next week Colts will be pulling up to Colts headquarters in Indianapolis and then the fun begins or something. Uh the <laughs> test be begins to be specific. <laughs> exactly. Fun has many meanings right now, right? It's uh it means something different maybe than it used to before the world changed. But uh we'll see. Um Guarded optimism, Zach?
1: Yeah. I mean you can't play football. Right now, unless you get the test, the test is the first step. I think it's going to be a test of everyone's patience. You know, I think we're used to like players reporting and we see them on the field the next day. That's not going to be the situation this year. Remember, there was no offseason training. There was no OTAs. There was no mini camp. They're going to probably do some conditioning the first week or so um, and kind of walk into this a little bit slower than usual. We won't see them actually play football for probably a couple weeks. But this is part of the process, and I'm just glad they're getting back to the facility. That's the first step. Hopefully, the test results are overwhelmingly negative, and they can get back on the field, and we can watch them football in in early August. You know, that's the hope right now, and I get it. you got to be safe, and you got to be smart, and I think this is the right way to do it because no one wants anything to go backwards as we move forward into the season. So if we have to be patient now, I'm I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I think basically we should – In the NFL, they should do the opposite of what the country at large
0: did, which was, say, Geronimo, basically. So, you can't do that. Um, So, hopefully, they understand that. It does seem that they do, and they know what's at stake. That's the other thing. There's a lot of money at stake for everybody. So, what we'll do today is basically sort of walk you through what we know of the Restart or I guess it's the start, not restart, in the NFL. Uh, what what we know in terms of how they've outlined this process and how those decisions relate specifically to the Colts. So things like having no preseason and, and such. So um, how do those things impact, good or bad? You know your particular favorite football team. So so that's the plan today. Um, I think the first thing to talk about is is really. A small change, I think, for for the public at large. But for us, who are out there every day at training camp and used to to sort of looking with a microscope at everything, uh, the roster is going from 90 men to 80 men, I think, is really interesting. And uh, I think for this team in particular, which is a team that... Uh, and well, let me back up, first of all. Let me not get ahead of myself. The reason they're doing this, and I, you chime in here if you disagree or you have something to add, Zach, but I think the reason they're... They're proposing 80-man rosters versus 90 is because they're not going to play preseason games, right? So the numbers aren't as important this year. And so they're trying to restrict that. Also, it kind of makes it a little bit more manageable number. Obviously, football teams are very big, so a lot going on there. So what that does, though, I think is – I think that has an impact on a team like the Colts because this team, every single year without fail – has guys come up from the bottom of the roster who surprise everybody. And they're not a surprise to Chris Ballard and his staff because they picked these guys, right? I mean, they're undrafted in some cases. They're late-round picks. But I, but in any case, uh, they're going to perhaps have to make some decisions here right out of the gate. And, and I think that's going to be interesting. I, I think I think that's that impacts a team like the Colts more who are really open-minded to the guys on the bottom of their roster. I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on that particular
1: decision? Yeah, I mean, they're going to cut 10 guys that most people probably have never heard of, yes, let's yes. be honest. It's not a small thing when you consider guys like Zach Pascal, guys like Jack Doyle, go back, you know, 10, 15 years, Gary Brackett was absolutely a nobody and, and earned his job and then became a captain. And, um, everyone's going to have to give a little bit. You're going to lose a little bit of that uh, potential to evaluate, right? Um, but I would counter that with this, and I want to get your take on this. I think the Colts are in a better spot than a lot of teams because they don't have a ton of spots open. I don't think there's gonna be a lot of flyers. I, I realize they've had an undrafted rookie make the opening day roster twenty one years in a row. That's the longest current it's streak in the unbelievable. league. Unbelievable. It is in jeopardy this year. It is maybe maybe Rodrigo keeps it going, right? Right, um, the kicker. Uh, I think he'll be in a pretty tight kicking race with, with Chase McLaughlin, who finished the season last year after Anna Vinatieri was put on IR. But, you know, when I was going through the roster piece by piece earlier this week to do an offensive preview, a defensive preview, and then I did a, a roster prediction for the 53 on opening day, and um, you know, we'll do another one as camp ends. I didn't have a lot of decisions to make. In some years, you've done this a number of times. Some years, it's like we could have 10 different names. This year, I don't think we're going to have very many. And I, I can see both sides to the argument. Sometimes that's good because you have competition and you want that, and that makes everybody better. This year, I don't see a lot of spots open. You know, we're going to figure out who they have starting on the defensive line. You know, does Autry go outside? Does Tourette step into that role? Um, does Taquan Lewis make the squad? Maybe a little bit in the defensive backfield. Uh, maybe their third tight end, maybe your fifth receiver. But that's four to five to six spots that are kind of up in the air. But beyond that, they know who their team is. They didn't need the preseason like some teams did. Um, I think Chris Ballard's okay with that. I think in a couple years ago, he would have been a little stressed because they needed the preseason. Um, and and you think about it, like Phillip Rivers probably doesn't need the preseason. Yeah, he's going to need to throw to his new teammates, and they're going to get a lot of live periods in camp. But a guy like Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, who's a rookie without an offseason – that's that's a pickle like that's a really difficult situation so my take is i think the colts while this is difficult and it's going to be tougher to evaluate those guys 43 to 65 on the roster i think the colts are in a better spot than most teams
0: yeah i i think the big takeaway from everything you said and i agree with this is that this is a harder football team to make now and that is a sign of progress look i get that they were 7 and 9 last year last year was certainly its own little entity right and we could rehash that but why do that (laughs) 2020 has been hard enough so i think though if you look at and you just did this right you did that exercise this week i think this is a harder team to make it's a harder roster to make now and you know i've told this before like i i talked to a lot of agents and I often get calls from from agents who represent, you know, sort of middling players who who the Colts may have some interest in. Maybe they're going to the practice squad or maybe they're getting that 53 spot 53rd spot on the roster. And oftentimes I'll get a call like, "Hey, how do the Colts look at wide receiver?" And and generally my answer has been, "Well, you know what? Uh, they they could use a they could use some help here, some help there." And my answers have progressively changed the last couple of years. Now it's like, you know what? You, you might want to look somewhere else. If if he's got another practice squad spot, I don't know that this one's the right one for him. The, the difference being that the Colts are really open-minded, and if you do practice well, they'll give you a shot. Now that I, I maintain, and I still share those sentiments. But there has to be an opportunity, and, and those opportunities are fewer now. So I, I think that speaks to, obviously, the job the personnel department has done in the front office and, uh, and and clearly the coaching staff too now gets credit because they have developed some guys you mentioned zach pascal i think he's a great example okay zach pascal worked his ass off and and that's the one thing i know about zach pascal he's going to work but it also takes a coaching staff to get that out of him and to to sort of maximize that ability He's got to put in the work, and then it's up to the coaches to really maximize it. So it's a it's a full team effort. It's it's personnel, it's coaching, it's development, it's uh, it's vision, it's all of those things. And and I think they're doing a good job of of maximizing their roster, and and that's what we're seeing now. So great points. Um, the other thing, or one other thing, to mention in terms of uh, how this process will be different, as you already mentioned it, and it's it's the no preseason. And I was going to ask your thoughts on this. You kind of. Hinted at it already. Um, right. Phillip Rivers has played <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of football games. Right. Uh, however, I wonder if you look at it from this context, without having played with this team and with these players and these receivers,
1: is practice enough, do you think? Or do you need some live reps? You'd always side on the side of live reps, right? I mean, every Mm -hmm. player out there who we've talked to over the years said, well, yeah, just give me like two series and I'll be good. Maybe just get that one hit and just get that first completion. Um, No team's going to get it. No team's going to have an advantage. And you have to go back to last year, throw out the Andrew Luck injury situation. They weren't even playing their starters. Remember, it was like the first year where every team was just like, nah, we're not going to play him. Hardly at all in the preseason. And so – the Colts actually sat Jacoby to for the majority of the preseason last year. I don't know if that trend would have continued. I think it probably would have. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, I mean, and for the players as well, the nice thing about the preseason gaze is it kind of broke up the monotony of camp, right? right. Players always talk about, well, it's time to hit somebody else. Thank goodness. They're not going to have that. And it's going to be a different camp in so many different ways. But you know, I've talked to some people who will be evaluating the players from the personnel side, and they're like, look, we need more live sessions. So they're going to have to mimic the games as much as they can in practice, and you can't truly do that because you just you just cannot. Um, you know, the benefit is you've got a guy like Phillip Rivers and T.Y. Hilton, and they don't need preseason, but Buckner doesn't need preseason. Quentin Nelson doesn't need preseason. Um But to get on the same page and to get the offense moving, they're probably going to be a little slow the first couple weeks of the season. That's probably going to be a byproduct of that and this weird preseason and this weird training camp. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's the Colts have it probably better off with a guy like Rivers who's seen everything over the course of his career than with a guy who's in year one or year two. Yeah, uh, I would
0: agree. I I think that. You, we're seeing a trend anyway, and, and it wasn't just the Colts. It was, as you said, most teams. Uh, they were going completely the other way with in terms of playing uh, key players in the preseason. I think that trend was was in motion and has been in motion for many years. And it, it was getting to the point where you know guys like Odell Beckham, right? They, they came to Westfield last year. Uh, the the Browns and Odell, you know, just basically wore shorts for three days (laughs) you know what I mean it's like he's in bubble wrap he had a little bit of an injury my point is uh anybody who's who's worth um a lot to that particular team if they have a tweak of any kind they're not playing in the preseason and even if they don't they're going to play very very minimally so I should know this offhand and I don't so shame on me but I I suspect that Philip Rivers has not been a big preseason guy over the years so um I'll have to look that the up. The funny thing about the preseason
1: is, and I've talked to some players, and even Frank Reich about this, like, it's a big deal in August, and then the minute the last game is played, <laughs> you remove it from your memory, it doesn't matter in any way, and everybody's regular for, for the regular season. Right. <laughs> it's so You're interesting, just, yeah. I don't even, yeah. like, you block it out, and the next time you think about training camp and the preseason is the next year when it starts. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, and I also kind of wonder, I'm getting ahead of us here, but I wonder... What impact not having preseason this year may have on future plans for the NFL, right? I, I don't expect the owners to just walk away from the preseason just because it's Nah, revenue. you know they won't do that. Money's money, right? They don't care how bad the games are. They make money
1: on the preseason, right? They have local TV contracts. One of the great uh, scams in the sports world, yeah. if you ask me, charging full price for preseason games? No question.
0: No question. Um America's a great country, and that's amazing that you can pull that off. But, yeah, I do wonder. It would probably be more of a long-term thing because I I imagine that would have to be negotiated in the CBA, and this is sort of a a one-off kind of situation. So we're not going to see, I don't anticipate at least, us seeing you know, going forward no preseason. I don't think that's going to be the case. But I do wonder now if it changes the conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah, and the, the owners give a little bit here. Mm-hmm. The players are like, okay, okay. I think the players are going to push for maybe two or less, less than four in the future, especially the veteran right. players. It may, it may also lead on the owners' behalf to a conversation about
0: expanded regular season too. So, um, that's a double-edged sword for the players. So we'll have to see. Um, all right. Well, how about this? So we hit on this a little bit just now, but uh, when we're talking about the the roster size, but depth is a big. Key this year, I feel like Because, look We're going to have some players test positive For coronavirus, right? That is just going to happen I don't know what the numbers are going to be like None of us know And and the numbers right now They might actually When players report next week They might The numbers might be startling Okay? Initially But I wouldn't overreact to that I think that's to be expected These guys have been all over the world Who knows who they've come in contact with right? The job is, or the idea is, catch it, isolate them, and knock it out, right? So, and then, you know, going forward, everybody be extremely careful. So that's the idea. But uh, that being said, these guys are not going to be in a bubble like the NBA. They're not going to be having significant restrictions on them. So look, I mean, we live in a world where this thing is all around us, right? So it's in my neighborhood, right? Just around the corner. We've got a family that's you know, going through the testing process right now. So, like, you know, you can't escape it. So, it's all around us. So, you're going to have some players test positive and those guys are going to be out for potentially prolonged periods if it happens. So, I think depth is going to be one of the big storylines of this season. You know, how do teams react if a star player uh, tests positive and now he's out for two or three games, right? You have to be prepared for that scenario. I actually think, you know, I'll ask your thoughts on this. I actually think the Colts have now done a good job the last couple of years of building the top of their roster. But now, in more recent years, I think in Chris Bauer's last couple of years, the bottom of the roster has gotten better too. And I think that is going to potentially serve them well. Um, what are your expectations there in terms of depth? And, and do you think it comes into play?
1: Absolutely it will. You're dead on. And I've, I'm predicting this, and this is not that bold of a prediction, but there's going to be a Friday... Or a Thursday during the season, when Chris Ballard says to himself, "I am so glad that I kept Jacoby Brissett." Because what if <laughs> Philip Rivers tests positive? I think it's going to happen. Whether it's Rivers or another starting quarterback, a team is going for to example, you, right? Yeah, a team is going to be put in a really tough spot. What if it's the Bucks and Brady's out? You're going to get to know a lot of these backup quarterbacks this season, and it doesn't have to be a quarterback. It could be a star defensive tackle or a star wideout or a tight end. I mean. It's gonna be an unbelievable season in terms of the curveballs that teams are throwing. And that's why I think organizationally it's gonna be the biggest challenge that teams have faced in probably forever, because you're gonna to have to find ways to win games in ways you never had to before. This is not just an injury. You know, this is gonna be the most unpredictable thing. And you're right about the depth on this roster. I mean, they've got some bona fide studs at the top, Nelson, Leonard, Buckner and a few others, but they're better 45 to 53 than they were three years ago. And when those guys get cut, they get picked up by other teams. And that's a sign of the depth of this roster. And that wasn't the case when Ballard got here. The other thing I wanted to add, and, and I was chatting with JMV a little bit about this yesterday, the NBA has the bubble, right? The NFL does not. These guys are gonna go home. And I think it's gonna be really, really important for teams to implore some sense of personal responsibility on these guys. Because at the end of the day, it's gonna be on the players to be smart about this. And this is a little bit, I mean, there's an, it's, it's a little bit like strength training to avoid injury, right? Like if you're a player, your job depends on you being on the field. If I'm a player, I'm going facility to my house and facility to my house and that's it. I'm not going to the grocery, I'm not going to restaurants. You need to be on the field and you need to be really, really smart and take every precaution you can to be out there. And look, the NFL cannot, they cannot contain every player on every team. There's thousands of football players that are not going to be in a bubble like the NBA. And so that's going to be, you know, that's going to be on the players and that's going to be on the coaches to let them know. But let's say you get a bye weekend and you're six and two and you want to go celebrate at a bar. Like it's going to happen, whether it's Indianapolis or some other city. You know players are going to go out and they're going to make questionable decisions and maybe one or two of them get the virus and then they're out for three weeks you know so we need to be prepared for all of that and i think frank and his coaching staff have discussed that because this is going to be on the players and they're not going to be able to babysit them 24 7. so it's going to be it's going to be really there's going to be a lot on the players shoulders but if i'm a player and, and if you're a guy like malik hooker who's entering a contract year and this is a year that could set him up for the rest of his life if it goes well I mean I'm I'm taking every last precaution to make sure I'm on the field as much as possible because not only do you have to prepare to prevent injury you have to fight off this pandemic and this coronavirus and, and there's a lot on the players plates and you got to do everything you can to be on the field yeah everybody's playing two opponents this year no question about it and you know I, I want
0: to seize on one thing you said there And and, and the, the player discipline, actually, that was, that was my next point We're going to circle back to that in a second the, Before I go on, though, I want to talk about You mentioned Frank Reich and his role there Or just the coaches in their role And I think when I talk about the depth there I think the depth issue and question And, and how uh, those sort of fringe players may become You know, central players uh, this season Depending on who tests positive and when I think that is also going to be a big responsibility for coaches this year. You better have everybody ready to go, 1 through 53. Yeah. There is no... Position coaches, uh, too. Yeah. 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 And and listen, I know there, there may be... It may require some changes in... In the approach of coaches, even like you know, a lot of times, you you get guys who who don't get a lot of reps. Maybe backups aren't aren't getting a lot of reps and things like that. I, I don't know that that changes necessarily, but maybe it should. I don't know. I just think it's going to require some out of the box thinking. How are you going to have guys ready to go at a moment's notice? Clearly, injuries happen too, and and oftentimes in game injuries in particular, guys have to throw a helmet on and, and get out there and play with very little preparation. I get that, uh, but this is. This is a situation where these things could be uh, the the, the situations could be unpredictable. The length of absence is unpredictable. They could prop up, excuse me, crop up suddenly. These situations, you know. So I I just think that it it's going to require these coaches to be really open minded and and to understand that and take it into account in how they prepare their teams and everybody, like I said, one through fifty three has to be ready to roll. And in fact, uh, in addition to the fifty three,
1: that additional Uh, X number of players that will be on the practice squad. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're Chris Ballard, you treat it as 73, right? 20 20 guys in the practice squad. Now, the Colts do that already probably as much Mm -hmm. as any team. They sign and cut guys from the practice squad like every three hours. But um, you have to – have, and you just not just have them on the team. You need to have those guys ready to play because guys are just going to go down. And every spot on the field is going to feel it this year. O-line, D-line, secondary. You're going to have guys – who the fans have never heard of that are going to be suiting up for you on a Sunday. And that that's a really good point. These position coaches are going to have as much of a challenge as anybody cuz you're responsible to have every last guy ready to play because who knows what's going to happen.
0: The the practice squad for the Colts this year potentially could be very interesting. I mean, there's some guys that we don't talk about, you know, there's there's certainly the late round picks, you know, the Desmond Patman's you know, does he make the fifty three man roster? I mean, he's on the outside. He's got an outside shot, but you know he's got a lot working against him, right? Not because he's not talented, just because you know it's a lot of bodies, right? So you could have guys like that. Uh, there's one of my personal favorites, Rodney Adams, who no one knows, but you know this guy was a fifth round pick of the Vikings a couple of years ago. Then, as I wrote earlier this offseason, uh, went into acting for a couple of years, like legit acting in Hollywood, and he's back now and this guy is a burner he's a he's a speed guy uh, he was very highly regarded by the Vikings was on their active roster for a lot of that season so you know there's guys like that I, I think who could end up being on this practice squad and it gives the you know the expansion of the practice squad while this is not for a very positive reason' <laughs> right this is terrible and, and we all hate that this has to be the case but uh, but it does give you a chance to, to take a longer look at some guys who you wouldn't otherwise be able to keep so that could be that, that could have some, some long term benefit to the Colts um, as maybe a, a side benefit in a really negative situation so we'll see how that goes but uh, something to think about uh, I want to circle back to what you, were, you brought up just a moment ago which is the discipline that's going to be required of these players um, what I wanted to add to that was and then tor- talking about the discipline, meaning they're going to have to self police themselves, you know, when it comes to uh, keeping yourself safe, right? I mean, just like the rest of us, but they're going to have to take this very seriously. I wonder if, yes, the coaches will impress that upon them, but a lot of that's going to have to come from guys keeping each other in check, don't you think? Like, yeah, that's a good point. Like, like Anthony Walker I could see you know who's a man you know beyond his years in terms of maturity like I could see that's a guy who's going to be on guys like hey team first you know like we're in this together guys you know if you go out there and you put yourself at risk you're hurting all of us and I think that that's got to be the message from yeah from these leaders to their teammates guys don't hurt your teammates by putting yourself at risk because you by by extension, hurt the team. So, uh, I, I'm very interested to see how that goes. I I think that if I'm Frank right, that's the message I'm preaching. I'm telling my leaders, "Hey, you guys keep each other in check because I don't know what you're doing after hours, but you guys do and, and know uh, are in more contact with each other and, and know what's going on." So, I, I wonder if that's how that'll
1: go. And Frank has a good relationship with those guys. I mean, they mm-hmm. really do. You know, I'm trying to think of who are the guys Frank would go to to tell. Like, look, we need to make sure we're really, really smart about this. You named one. Well, he's of got them. a
0: leadership committee that he that he yeah has that's exactly what comes with. to
1: mind, and and you might see guys like Quentin Nelson step into that. He's yeah he's not a rookie anymore. He's not a second year player. He's probably the best freaking player on the team, and and he was pretty ticked off at how last season ended on the field. So you might see a guy like Quentin Nelson step into that and be more of a leader in the offensive line room. They've already got one in Ryan Kelly, and I can tell you Ryan Kelly is going to get on those guys. Um, You've got some good ones on defense. Two of them are linebackers, Darius Leonard and Anthony Walker. And then I think, and this will be something that will be interesting to see play out, and, and I'm really bummed we won't be in the locker room to sort of see that organically. Phillip Rivers, you know, he's a guy that steps in. He's taking the job of a guy that was beloved in the building. I mean, say what you want about Jacoby Brissett, but inside the building, top to bottom, they love the guy. His teammates, his coaches, the personnel staff. Rivers is coming in and taking that job, and that could have been awkward. And as we've learned in the offseason, those two get along really well, and they've been texting, and and that's impressive on both Rivers' part and Jacoby's part. Does, does, does Rivers have that sort of um, role early on as a, as a new player, as a first-year we'll, we'll guy in the city, um, yeah. but, you know, who, by the way, was, you know, 14 years in, in San Diego and L.A., seen everything in the NFL – Um, I think that's a guy that that's a that's a difficult kind of, you know, line to cross. I think if you're Rivers, you don't want to be that guy who just walks in and orders people around. But also you're the starting quarterback and and people expect that from you. And it's the way he works, right? He's always been a guy who
0: who embraces that sort of leadership role and, you know, not leadership just in terms of like calling yourself a leader. It's more a very active role. Role of leadership You know And if you If you hear what guys From the Chargers Have said about him They have all said This guy is an elite leader And just How he How seriously He takes that role And how he You know Sort of graciously Goes about it too I, I think that's That's also important Like If you're a leader Who who yells and screams Which is certainly One way of doing it But if you are that guy It's hard to do that Just walking into the building Especially with no offseason But I don't think Philip Rivers is like that I think he's more of a he he's more of a gracious leader, I think, and and a lot of it is by example. He's certainly vocal, but I I think it's it's more from it's more team oriented his leadership. Um, That's what Frank said. Frank approach. said the
1: first thing that comes to mind is team with Rivers, and again, this is going to be something you don't just get that respect and that you know respect. You you it, it's going to come through the work, mm-hmm. and from everyone we've talked to in L.A. and San Diego, this guy just works. He's all about the team, and I think players gravitate to quarterbacks that don't have the ego, that don't think they're better than everyone else in the locker room. We saw that with Luck. Um, I think I think Rivers is gonna slide in rather seamlessly, and I think it's gonna be a really, really smooth transition, which in a lot of cases, when you bring in a high-priced veteran quarterback, that's not always the case. But uh, I right. think with Rivers, I think that's a guy Frank can go to, and I think that's gonna be really important as they sort of have to just police themselves throughout this season. Yeah. So one other fact that
0: will affect everybody in the NFL, look, they, they have not ruled or decided on what they're going to do in terms of fans. But I I still have a very bleak outlook on fans attending games. Look, I, I think there are places where fans can safely attend games. Uh, this virus is very regional, clearly. Right. But uh, at the same time, are we going to have different policies in place? for different cities and different franchises. I, I just, I don't like that if I'm the NFL. I, I think it has to be consistent. So let's assume that's the case, right? Let's give the worst case scenario. There are no fans. I've been watching a little bit of sports this week. I, I watched an NBA scrimmage last night, kind of, sort of. <laughs> uh, I watched a little baseball the other night. You know, I, I guess I've been really it's coming back. sports. So it, it's been different though. It has been different. I don't know if you've had any uh, opportunity to take in any of that? What, have you had a chance to see any of it? What were your thoughts? And just what do you th- what do you expect? I mean, a, an NBA facility, um, excuse me, an NFL facility in particular. You know, these cavernous stadiums right. with with no um, no fans. It's going to be different. And the baseball was just weird. I mean, watching these guys take pitches and <laughs> you're, you're looking for you know. The uh, the fans in the background behind home plate, you know, doing their thing. There's nobody there. It's just really strange, you know. Ball gets hit in the outfield uh, for a home run. There's no one there to catch the ball. It's very strange. So I don't know. What what are your thoughts on that? And
1: what can they do? I don't know. I don't have any great ideas. But I'm with you on. I don't see how you let Baltimore have thirty thousand fans and Seattle have fifty thousand and you know L A have 10,000 I don't see how that's fair you're gonna have to just keep it consistent I have been watching a little bit of the EPL and Mm. it's weird but I'll be honest you, you get used to it and it's better than the alternative but I will say this and I think you would agree but I'm anxious for your thoughts I think football is the one sport where if there's no fans it feels the most different and I mean college football as well it's such an ingrained part of the experience. And it's so fun when we're at games when we can hear the crowd getting into it. And it's a third down and they need to get off the field. And that's such a great part about football. And it's a great part about every sport, right? But yeah. Frank and his staff, his coaches have talked about this. How it changes the way they play the game, how they call the game. It's gonna be a different experience. And I and I'm very confident that it it will matter in terms of like it'll matter for the defense and the off you know the the opposing teams not going to have a crowd to deal with when they're trying to audible plays at the line of scrimmage you know that matters in the final box score and the final score so that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out but um i don't think there's any sport that has more of an impact with the fans than football and i just think it's going to be weird but um, at this point, if, if they're playing 16 games in the playoffs, I don't care what it looks like. I'm I'm signing up for that because I'll, I'll take it. I think we're all gonna have to give a little bit, but um, yeah, it won't be the same. There's no doubt about it.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I will first make that point that you just ended with, which is, listen, this ain't a deal breaker. Okay, <laughs> let's, right, let's right. be clear. This is not a deal right. breaker. Let's do it. But at the same time, yeah, look, there is nothing better in football, in my mind, uh, maybe nothing better in sports, right? Than when a when a deep ball is in the air and everybody jumps out of their seats in anticipation of what's going to happen, you know, is it going to be a touchdown? Is it going to go incomplete? You know, then you hear the, ah, or if it's a touchdown, you hear, you know, the rush of the crowd. I mean, that is that millisecond right there is one of the best moments in sports. I don't care who's playing, you know, you're on the edge of your seat. And even me, as the reporter, the neutral party, right? I, I get the same juices flowing that you do because it's exciting, man. So, so
1: you don't know what's going to happen. That's the fun yeah, part. Sometimes at Colts
0: games, the, the crowd is is part of why that's so exciting because hearing that roar and it's just so organic.
1: Yeah. Well, we're not going to have
0: that. And uh, potentially or probably, I think we're not going to have that. And when we get that. back to that,
1: hopefully in 2021, we'll appreciate yeah. it more. That's for sure.
0: I I agree. I I do think that you're right when you say that that football is different than other sports in terms of the impact of the crowd. For me, the reason for that is football requires more communication than any other sport. Uh, Baseball, they communicate a lot, clearly, but they have signals. Uh, And and clearly, I think crowd noise in baseball is just not as significant anyway. Um, In football, you're talking about 22 guys having to do completely different things yet do it in unison and that's that takes a lot of communication and the fact is that communication gets impacted so let's relate this to the Colts which is what we said we do they go down to Houston every year and it's a struggle
1: yeah it's a struggle sometimes
0: you know the place yep. gets
1: loud uh, does that go, does that help certain teams does it hurt certain teams I, think I mean it, it it's hurts hurt.
0: you if, if you have a if you're Seattle it hurts advantage. you
1: because of your home field advantage right I mean it has no, to
0: if you're the Seattle Seahawks. Right, uh, yeah. Are you having much of a home field advantage this
1: year? Nope. They got a the lot of stadium in the NFL. Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. Believe me, we've covered games in Seattle. We've covered games in, in KC the last couple of years. It absolutely matters. You for, I forget how loud it gets. Even Lucas Oil, you know, in the press box, it's yeah, so muted. But when we run to the bathroom, there's this, like, little, you know, um, TV open area where I can watch just a couple of plays. And you can hear it, and you can feel the sound, and, and all the hmm. excitement, and what you're just talking about. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna change. It's gonna change a little bit. And it's gonna feel different, look different. Um, but yeah, it's you're right. I mean, a couple of the biggest home field advantages in football that's gone this year. Yeah, so it's going to be a different
0: game. Uh, you know, not enough for it to to not appeal to us. Look, as I said, we're gonna watch. Okay, it, we'll be probably watching more than ever because we won't be at the movies. We won't be. Uh, at concerts, we won't be doing the other things that that maybe coincide with with watching sports, right? So we'll be watching as much or more than ever. That being said, it will be different. It will take some adjustments. So I'm just I'm just kind of curious to see how it all works. I, I think the NBA has some uh, has some some good ideas. You know, trying to make it almost like an like a excuse me a, a video game atmosphere uh, from from a TV standpoint. Uh, That's what I understand their thinking is there. It's kind of interesting. The NBA is really innovative, you know, with this stuff anyway. So, uh, and and I was talking about this on on the radio yesterday. Uh, You've been to a lot of NBA games, as have I. (laughs) Is there ever a silent moment at an NBA game? (laughs) There's no. There's always music playing. There's always playing music when they're
1: bringing the ball up the court and all that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. I don't know. Maybe the NBA is on to something. I don't know what the NFL has in mind, but surely these conversations are taking place, I have to imagine, behind the scenes and in the NFL's trying to figure it out because I think the viewing experience is really important with football, and, and the crowd is a huge part of that viewing experience. So how do you make up for that? I don't know. But
1: You know, when this all started, it was like, well, the NFL has months and months to get ready. They can learn from the <laughs> NBA and, and hockey and baseball and everyone else and... Here we are, July 23rd, and camp's supposed to start next week, and we think we know what it's going to look like, but there's still some some T's, and some I's, to, you know, some final, 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 final things to get done. Um, mm-hmm. It would have been nice if this was all wrapped up a month ago, but things are constantly changing, and we'll see, but at least they're getting to the facility and hopefully getting on pads pretty soon.
0: Yeah, I just think it's a reflection of, of the reality, and we have all learned, I think a lot of people have criticized like you know, the science and the research and all that, and if nothing else through this, I hope we learn, and this has nothing to do with sports, this is just the world. I hope we learn that these things are hard and absolutes are just not always possible. And we live in a world, I think, where we want yes or no, black or white. Well, sometimes there ain't black and white. <laughs> this is one of those times. This thing's hard. We thought we'd be on the downward slope by now. Now, here we are talking about certain cities potentially considering shutdowns. So, look, all I can say is uh, this stuff is hard. It's ever-changing. And I wish the NFL were further along in its decision-making, but I also get it to some extent, too. So, um, it's hard. So, here we are. But we're close, and we're on track, and I think it's going to happen. Buckle up.
1: Yeah. I'm ready. Hopefully they stay safe. Hopefully. Hopefully. Guys, stay ready to get back to work. I've never (laughs) wanted to watch football practice more, I'll be honest.
0: Right. I'm usually sort of wistful when the summer comes to an end or our summer. You know, our summer is different than other people's summers. But uh, I'm usually wistful when our summer sort of comes to an end. But now I'm kind of like, well, what else do I have to do? (laughs) So let's do it. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, man, stay tuned, folks. We we hopefully will have lots of content coming up. And I, I tell you, we appreciate you sticking with us through all this. And we've tried to keep your appetites wet for, for sports, you know, through uh, what coverage we were able to give you. And and I thank you that, that people have responded to that. So, uh, so stick with us, man. We're coming back. Sports will be here soon. And uh, we will be there on top of it as we always are at the athletic. So if you're not a subscriber, actually, I I know we have some deals coming up, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, There will be some deals associated with the return of sports that you might want to take advantage of. So, Uh, they also this week released um, a combo deal with T-Mobile if you're a subscriber Uh, if you're a T-Mobile subscriber and are not a subscriber to The Athletic uh, you can change that for free for one year so check that out that got apparently a huge response this week uh, from new subscribers so uh, we hope you'll join us anyway enough rambling for me I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Keever. thanks for listening this is 1% Better back next
1: week with another episode (laughs)